What's up, everybody? It's Steve Skax, and if you like pods and casts, you're going to love the Mighty Mighty Marston cast with Tim Lawson. We ain't going to stop right into the spotlight, there. Give me some burn on my face. We took it from the black right into the top right there, and we did it all in your face. You know they going to love it. What's going on, everybody? I am Timothy Lawson, and this is Mighty Mighty Marston House, the podcast that talks to MCs, producers, and other figures in the hip-hop culture, and we talk to them about their creative process, how they got introduced to the culture, and de- we decipher and deconstruct some of their work, whether it be lyrics, beats, or, or what have you. Uh, today's guest is Carnage the Executioner, originally reigning from Minnesota and now uh, a transplant to Philadelphia. That's how we got connected to Marston House. He was uh, a recommendation from Steve Skacks. Carnage and I hit it off right away. The pre-show banter and everything just started flowing, uh, and so I decided just to include it all. And so this is going to be a good look into, you know, you're going to get a chance to see conversation that I have with uh, with guests that sometimes doesn't make it on the show because it's before, uh, quote unquote, the official start. But because I was already recording everything, I thought it'd be really great to give you an inside look to um, how show prep and the pre-show banter and stuff really goes. So here is Carnage the Executioner. Please note that the end does sort of uh, stop abruptly because of some issues with the software. Most of the most of the content is still available, so uh, definitely uh, appreciate you taking t- the time to listen. The feature track at the end of the show is "Keep the Body Bags Handy" off of Carnage, the ex- Executioner's latest release called "The Ultimatum." Uh, just go into Google and put in Marson House, and you'll find everything associated with Marson House, and that'll lead you right to Carnage's latest release because they are helping him with that push. Without further ado, here is Carnage the Executioner. Thank you for listening. You know they gonna it. uh, it's a pleasure meeting you, my friend. Same, same. Thank you. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to do this. Of course, of course. This, uh, you know, so the podcast is a, is a little in its infancy. Uh, but I'm already getting great feedback on it. Uh, you know, Steve and Ethan are really excited about it, and the early listeners too would think that uh, there's a lot of potential there. So uh, you were you were you were first on on list on Steve's list of uh, of artists to hit up. So oh. uh, I'm grateful we were able to connect. Oh, so so should I feel privileged because of this? <laughs> I believe so. I think so. I think uh, you know, there's um. You know, hip hop is a is a huge culture, you know, and uh, and there's a lot of people that we're all connected to, and I think that uh, to be on the on the short list of um of first uh, MCs to bring on, I think there's a there's a little bit of uh, honor there. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> all right, sounds sounds good. Uh, so I've been listening to the new uh the new project a little bit. Ultimatum. Uh, ultimatum. Yeah. 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 Is that is that what the entire project is called? Yeah, the whole the whole uh EP is called The Ultimatum. Okay. Okay, cool. I'm uh what am I? I'm digging uh I'm digging 11 BC. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm digging The Ultimatum, uh Breakbeat Denominator. I like that too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um so you don't like the other ones, right? <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly how you should interpret that. Yeah. All of that to mean I don't like the other ones. Yeah, I'm just playing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if you're an artist and that's the only way you took stuff like that like hey man i love your i love that song like, oh so fuck the other ones yeah, right? right that would be horrible <laughs> horrible for business and right uh, yeah you wouldn't have very many friends i'll tell you that no no 
so this so what I what I mainly talk to MCs about are uh you know how you got in how you got introduced to the culture, what the culture was like in your area, mm-hmm. um how you you know like when you started getting into rap and then you know, like a, as as the, as an art form um then we'll talk a little bit about your creative process you know, like when you approach a song mm-hmm. you know what's the process you're taking and then uh and then we'll talk about some lyrics specifically okay. um and sort of the inspiration behind them and stuff like that and that takes the bulk of the show um and then of course there's a little bit of banter here and there depending on how the conversation goes so this should take about 20 to 25 minutes sounds good yeah mm-hmm all right, and uh, your name is Terrell Woods, a.k.a. Carnage the Executioner. Yeah, my uh, government, my legal government name is actually Maynard Terrell Woods, but, you know, <laughs> hey, yeah, so go ahead and laugh. Laugh, man. That, that's, a, that's a fucked up I, name. I'm boy. laughing. I'm laughing because you're like, just so we're clear. No. It's you, not just Terrell you know, Woods. But, but, you know, I'm just trying to be, you know, as real with people as I possibly can. You know what I'm saying? I, that's, I, that's... I got a fucked up first name. That's the way this shit goes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta make sure that we get that out there. yeah man let, let y'all know because so that's why i came up with a name like carnage the executioner because it's so much better than my real name yeah there's uh you know obi tries can use his real name yeah. maynard terrell woods no, probably should not use. working you know like there's and that, that's funny because I, I i talk to a lot of rappers um having real names that work like i i know rappers who have dope ass first you know real names and they don't use them like uh I'm gonna just say it because that's my dude, uh, Illogic. His real yeah. his real name is Jawar Glass. That's a fucking that's dope name, dude. That's a good name. Hell yeah! But he, he, you know, he chose Illogic, and I was like, you know, Illogic's straight. You know what I'm saying? But man, fucking Jawar Glass, and he was like, nah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't use that as my rap name. And I'm like, shit, if I had that name, I would. You know, uh, I think. I think some people though like the separation of stage life and personal life, I and I think that's I think that's a way that they do it. I guess, man. I I just if I had a name that dope, I would use it. Um, there's another name I like too. Um, um, uh, Eternia. You know who she is? No. Uh, she's pretty dope. Um, her uh her real name is Silk Kaya. And I, that's her. That's her legal name. Yeah. And I said, I said, and when I met her, I said, you should call yourself Kaya Silk. And she was like. I'm like, what? That shit would be dope. Man, <laughs> like, there's some people. It's like you, you should, you owe your parents a favor yeah. for for hooking you up with a dope name Dude, like what that. What the fuck, man? Your name is Silk. That shit is dope. <laughs> if your yeah. real name is Silk, yeah. And there's other rappers who can use their names, like Eric Sermon. He can use his real name. Um, yeah. I think Keith Murray is a pretty dope name. That that sounds like a yeah. superhero type of dude, you know. Yeah. Um, Sean Daly. Um, that's Slug's real name from Atmosphere. I'm like, damn, Sean Daly is way doper than Slug, but, you know, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you got people like Joe Budden who are like, I don't care if my name's not dope. I'm just using my name. That that shit is that's not the best name, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Got to give credit for, for rocking it, you know what I'm saying? Right, but I love I love that he doesn't even try to do or be anything else. He's like, my name's Joe Budden. That's what I told him at the contract signing, and that's what we went with. <laughs> what we went with. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, do you have any questions for me before we get rolling? Um. Okay. Uh, what honestly did you think of the album? I know you said you liked a few a few tracks on there, sp- specifically in, in and in particular. Um. Yeah. It- it took me it took me a few run throughs to really follow um the articulation of the words. Okay. Um and I think it was just because your 
your cadence went so well with the beat that sometimes they were they were, that they they played with each other enough to where some it, it took me a while to, to both follow the beat and pay and be able to catch like <laughs> all the words that you're putting. Does that make sense? Yes, and you know what? That's that's pretty dope. Did you saying that because especially on Breakbeat Dominator, I wrote the lyrics damn near to the yeah. and the snare. Like that was probably one of the songs where you know the lyrics were just bam 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 bam. And um and the one after that um what is it uh he is I and I am him that song was originally written in thousand nine not to that beat um and then when I, my boy hit me up with that beat I was like dude I got a verse that would specifically exactly go to that beat and when I spit it it sounded like I wrote it to the beat the way I wrote Break Beat Dominator so there are a couple of songs sure. I, I I totally hear you on that and. And that was a conscious effort, kind of. Um, you know, I don't sit there and like write to the syllable, you know, write yeah. each syllable to the beat. But um, I used to have a flow that was, you know, pretty off beat, all over the place kind of thing. And um, I got mixed responses from it. Like some people would say, "Man, that's really cool," and then some people would be like, "You're just hard to follow because your style is so jagged," you know. So I was like, "Okay, let me try," you know, on this next release to to ride the pocket of the drums a little bit more. So that's that's what I did on most of the songs. Yeah, and I think I think that your delivery is fine. I think just on the sound engineering part, there should have been a little emphasis to uh, to level out the snare a little bit more in some of in some of the other sounds. That way they don't. Uh, so that way, in f- at first listen, you're not your ears aren't battling to pick up both sounds. You know what? That's interesting that you say that because the guys who did this record are um, different a different group of people um, from my last recordings. And one of the things they said that they made an effort to do was to make my lyrics stand out more and be in your face um, because they thought that a lot of the flows and the styles and stuff that I was using on my previous material was getting lost because um, I had this all over the place flow, but the music and the voice were right, you know, right in the same spot. So that's kind of weird that you said that because you probably really would have a hard time listening to some of my old shit if you thought maybe yeah but if you thought if you thought you know this could have changed a little bit but that's a good that's a good opinion I I, I like getting people's opinions on my music who who was the main engineer in this one was it Steve or Ethan um they didn't do this record actually they put oh, it out no they didn't do that they just put it out yeah they just helped me put it out because um we we got you yeah. okay okay we connected was... real nicely and and they said they wanted to put out a, a tape of mine so i was like all right cool let's do this oh okay i th- <coughs> i thought that you had done some work at marson house for this record no no this is... no okay I'm... so they were just yeah they... gotcha right so i'm i'm the transplant from from minnesota yeah to philly i'm working with philly artists but i'm from minnesota Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Next, I was like, "This is coming out of nowhere." Like, how how quickly did he get this done? I didn't know Carnage was <laughs> was, was recording a Marson house. Nah, man, I, gotcha. But I already had some stuff in the in the can ready, you know. But then um, when I found out that I was going to do it with those guys, I added two more tracks to it and made it an EP along yeah. EP because at first I only had like four or five songs, and then I was like, "Nah, I can do better than that." So I stepped it up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um. Wonderful. Well, are you gonna are you gonna record anything? We'll we'll ask you that. So. <laughs> uh, you ready? Uh, you ready to get started? Yeah. Oh, we haven't even. This is, hasn't been recorded. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh man, look. You. We just got so we got so comfortable in the conversation. 
that we yeah I'm gonna throw this in here but this, uh, but uh man we we just been chatting hell yeah that's the way the shit's supposed to be you know what I'm saying yeah the pre-show banter this that's what this is for yeah you know uh, word. Yeah, you know what? We'll, well, I'm throwing the rest of that in there because that was all good. Uh, I think good you should. Right there. I think you should. Yeah. I think it's really dope. It's, it's really it was us for real, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, okay, well let's let's just segue into uh, some of the more traditional parts of the show. Okay, the um, fun parts. Okay. Fun <laughs> <laughs> parts. Yeah. Well, let's get it back to my show. You understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you know I like to talk to every MC about how they got introduced to the culture because I'm a white boy from. Uh, Northwest Washington, and the way that I got interested in hip hop is way different from what someone down, uh, in like Alabama, how they get introduced to hip hop, you know, and, and. Wait, you're white? We all like to. You're white? What's that? You're white? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just playing. Go ahead. <laughs> I was like, I'm about to hit end on this Skype call real quick. <laughs> Uh, you know, so but we all like to believe it's this that it's uh it's a similar culture, but it's not. The, the culture is different than where you grew up. So tell us wh- wh- how where were you and how did you get introduced to hip hop? I was in uh Minneapolis. Um, let me see. Was I in? I was in South Minneapolis. I was about about eight years old, seven or eight years old, and my first experience was listening to Run DMC and hearing uh Herbie Hancock's Rocket. Those were my first um, experiences with anything that that I would be able to recognize and interpret it as hip hop. So, and what what was the culture like when you started introduced to hip hop and you're looking around, you're looking at other people that are involved? Uh, you know, were you into the traditional element like that, or were, uh, were were one of the elements more emphasized than the other? Like, what was the culture around you like when it came to hip hop? When um, I really can you hear me pretty good here? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so uh, when I first got into it, um, rapping was the dominant thing that I that I noticed. Um, just at first because of Run DMC and the fact that their their vocal presence is so strong. So when I heard Run DMC, I was like, "Holy shit, what is this?" You know, and and I was too young to you know really put a finger on what it was called. You know, I didn't know it was called rap. I didn't know it was hip hop. I just liked it when I heard it. And then I heard Herbie Hancock rocket with all those scratches and shit. And then I was like, okay, I want to be a DJ. It, it, hmm. it, it, it took me one time to hear Herbie Hancock in rocket to know that I wanted to be a DJ. So I, I started out, uh, I was into to the, to the rapping aspect, but I wanted to be a DJ. Um, but so my thing is a little weird the way it happened. So I heard run DMC rap first. I really liked it. I heard Herbie Hancock uh, rocket with the scratching and I wanted to be a DJ, but I didn't have turntables. So when I heard beatboxing, I decided to beatbox because beatbox was the only thing that I didn't really need something for. You know what I mean? I wasn't I wasn't really, you know, astute enough to actually rap at eight or nine years old, but I could beatbox. So I started making a lot of beatbox noises around my neighborhood and I became known as the the resident Southside Minneapolis beatboxer. Um, and as I got older, I developed that skill. So I would say um, beatboxing was the first thing I actually did that was music related. Um, everything else was just like fantasy and, and listening to stuff. Um, so by the time I was about 12 years old, I, I was pretty good at beatboxing. Um, and then around that time, I started rapping. Um, I wrote my real first rhyme that I would consider something um, of a of a song and uh 
when I was 13 years old. And that's where the song T uh, the um, 11 BC story comes from. So if you, if you follow that, I'm talking about 11 years before I became carnage, I was T Swift. So I started rapping when I was 13. Um, so that's kind of how things started happening. Yeah, yeah, and we're we'll uh we're that that's actually a song that I want to talk to you specifically about is Love in BC because I think uh I think backstory is uh is really fascinating when it comes to because the rappers and you, you get to learn so much about them and their um and their their growth into the culture and into their into their uh, skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, so you know, we we've we found out how you got introduced to the culture, what it's like in your area. Now let's talk about when you know when Terrell Woods finally starts putting pen to paper, and um, you know when you're actually not just flirting around with rapping, but like you're actually trying to create rhymes, you're actually trying to create a message, you're actually putting effort into uh, into lyrics. Um, that's when when I started rapping, I was immediately I would say I was immediately ready to try to be an MC. I just didn't really have an outlet because I was only 13. Yeah. Um, so when, when I wrote that my first rhyme, I wrote my first rhyme as a DJ who was emceeing for the first time, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, it was really weird. So like I said before, I wanted to be a DJ, but I didn't have turntables. So when I wrote my first rhyme, I wrote my first rhyme as a DJ who was stepping away from the turntables to rap for the first time. So I had a concept. So when, when did, so, you know, that's at like 13, then how long until you feel like you're, um, when did you notice the biggest jump in your skill set? When you realize like, oh man, I am exponentially better now than I was just a little while ago. I would say what I hit about, 15 or 16. That's when I, I think I stepped it up. Um, and if you listen to the song and I say that in the song, I say, um, um, I was shying in the beginning. They couldn't hear the homie took a little time to get confident. It was mirrors only had 11 rhymes at a time when I was a crutch walker. Leg surgery sent me straight to the kitchen table after school, rapping fool, good in my own mind. So when, when I was 15 years old, um, I had a, a, a leg surgery that really kind of confined me to not being able to do a lot of things physical. So, you know, I was really into basketball and football, but I couldn't play basketball and football. So that was around the time I really started getting into rap, write rhymes instead of, you know, going out and playing basketball because I couldn't, I would sit at the kitchen table and write rhymes. And I would say by the time I was 16, I I was ready to say my rhymes to people um, seriously and not be afraid to like kind of voice my, you know, bring out my voice as an MC. So then when did you, when do you, when do you start writing songs? Like when, when are you actually creating tracks? Well, um, I think I, I, I would say I recorded my first demo with one of my, um, one of my homeboys when I was 17 years old. Um, we went to, I went to his apartment and he had, um, a headphone, um, plugged into his Gemini mixer and um, he was like, let's use this as a microphone. And then we just kind of played around and recorded demos. So that's when I was, uh, that's when I was 17. And um, so I was writing verses and stuff. And then when I was about 17, 
me and my boy, um, his name is uh, Steve Dowdy, a.k.a. DJ Excalibur. Him and I started um, writing as a group, and we became a group when I was 17. So that's when I started actually writing songs when I was 17. And so that would be in that would be in 1992. 1992. Yes. Man, I don't even. What was I doing in 92? Probably I don't know. So I still I still thought girls had cooties in 92. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did. I mean they st- they still do, but then you know I it was a myth to me. Right. Um. So th- w- what about so, you know that's you know that's 92. That's that's uh, over 20 years ago. Yep. Um. You know let's. Let's then talk about your creative process, and I want you, I want, I want you to talk about what your creative process is now, and contrast it, uh, or even compare it to what it was then, and how it's evolved. And um, and when I when I, when I say your creative process, I mean when you're, you know, when you're creating tracks, when you're creating lyrics, when you're when you're trying to when you're being creative um, with this outlet. Um, what process do you go through now and how does it compare to back when you were 17? Um, the, the similarities to how I used to do it then is I used to really like to write to beats. Um, I I can rap without beats, but, um, one of the things you noticed, um, the lyrics going really well to the beat, that was something I developed at at an early age because, um, I liked to write two beats. So, um, that, that was like, one of the similarities that, you know, that goes with what I do now. Um, one of the differences is, um, what are you you doing over there? What's the sound? Oh, uh, I'm just putting some, uh, some salt on my avocado. (laughs) (laughs) You're preparing a meal. Yeah. I was right in the middle of, uh, doing some business shit when you, when you called me, but you know, I got to, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. <laughs> I get you. Right. I get you. It was just such a, I couldn't put my finger on like what the sound was. I was like, what, what on earth would you be doing over there? I'm right, putting salt in your avocado very well. Now I'm putting pepper on it. So yes. Okay. Well, hey, got to make sure it's well seasoned. I, I, I uh, promise you won't hear me smacking on, on, on the video though. That's good. I appreciate that. Okay. So, um, so what was I saying? The, the difference now is I don't just write to be writing. I don't sit down and write unless I have something to say um, because I don't like to feel like I'm forcing a song or forcing lyrics. And um, I think that was something back in the days I used to just be like, I'm going to just write. And um, um, that was an Achilles heel for me because I didn't really have topics. I really didn't have focuses. And um, I would just rap because I wanted to rap and just because, you know, there was nothing else to do or you know, I heard a beat I liked, but now it's different because I don't write unless I have something to say. So I sit down and I really try to come up with concepts and, and different angles to, you know, to say things that I've never said before. You know, so that's the difference between now and then is that I don't I don't force myself to write. If I don't have anything to say, I'm not writing. So what about. Oh, sorry. No, go no, go ahead. That, that was it. Oh, okay. Uh, what What about when you are a a guest on someone else's track? Like, so when you're featured on another track, tell me about that creative process because I think that's a that's a challenge that I think most listeners don't understand because you're going into it still with your own personality and your own approach to music, but you still need to be respectful of what the overall message of the track is and who the other person is an artist. So, t- t- tell us about that creative processes and the challenges, and then also the uh, the the opportunity for collaboration that you get with the other artists. Um, I like um, I like doing 
levels. One of the issues with me being able to do them is I'm so busy all the time. Um, so I don't get to do as many as I used to do back in the days. There was a time where people would hit me up all the time and I was on a lot of people's records. Um, that's how me and Idea got introduced to each other. Um, you know, he heard me on a collaboration, a compilation that I was on and then he wanted to do something with me. So him and I started hanging out. But um, I like collabing because it gives you it gives me a chance to say something uh, that I sometimes wouldn't say on my own. You know, like if somebody brings a, a, a unique concept, you know, to the to the to the table and says, I want you to write to this. It's most likely going to be something that I wouldn't normally just come up with myself. So it's a challenge to me. And I like doing it. You know, I get something out of it that I wouldn't have said otherwise. And it challenges me to step up my rap game um, to be able to match whatever the topic is that that somebody throws at me. Sometimes I've gotten concepts that I'm like, I would never write about that on my own. But the challenge is for me to go in and actually make it a cohesive enough verse that it fits with what whatever the, the concept was with the person I'm collaborating. So I actually like that. Um, yeah, did I kind of answer and, part of that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, then, then flip it to when you're inviting someone on your track. How do you, how do you prepare them for, for their piece? I'm super anal about that, man. Um, if, if, <laughs> if, I want, if I want somebody on a track, I know exactly what I want them to rap about. Um, I know the beat. I, I, I tell them how long I want them to rap. I even might want to, you know, sometimes tell them, I want you to say a little bit of this in there. Um, I don't do a lot of collabos that I initiate with people for that reason, because it's hard to get people to rap on your subject. It's, it's hard to get people to follow your vision sometimes. So I tend to, A, not because, you know, everybody's on their own shit. Uh, secondly, I always feel like when I'm making an album, um, since I was in groups for so long and I didn't start being a real solo MC till about 2006, um, I always feel like when I make a record, I have something to prove. I have I have to prove to people that I'm not just a verse writer. I'm not just um, the guy that you used to hear on All Ideas Records. I'm not just the guy who you see performing with, you know, the female rapper Desdemona who I work with. I'm not just the guy who you see that's going to hop on the stage and do a verse with whoever asked me to collab. So I tend to not do very many collabos for, you know, those two reasons. Um, but when I do do a collabo, I know exactly what I want and, and what I want the artist to come with kind of. And um, that's a challenge because sometimes I do collabs with artists. They want me to do stuff, but then they don't bring, they don't bring a concept to the table. So it's like, okay, what's your vision for your song? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so that, it's difficult when rappers kind of do that when, when people don't know what they want you to rap about they just want you to be on their shit and it's like i appreciate the compliment but you know give me some guidance bro you know and if they don't then i just go in and i'm like you know every man for themselves then you know yeah so you see i mean you said that you're really anal when it, when it comes to bringing someone else on onto your track and it's easy to say you know it's really it's easy to say all of it but what what aspect of of their our verse of their verse do you think you're most critical of is it the delivery is it the rhyme scheme is it the subject matter like which part do you find yourself being being most uh you know most anal about in making sure that they get right i would say the timing if the timing isn't right i'm super bothered cuz i'm i'm really about like you know being able to interact with drums interact with beats and if the timing is not good then i'm like dude what's up with your rhythm <laughs> you know, type of thing, because I'm so rhythmically um, 
like my stuff is so rhythm driven because I think it's partially because I started as a beatboxer, you know, so a lot of the stuff that I do uh, rhyme wise has to do with percussionistic cadences. So I'm really particular about how people sound on beats. That's probably the first thing. Um, The second thing would be, what is the message they're trying to deliver? You know, if you're on the record talking about a whole bunch of stuff that I don't believe in, then that might not be a collab that I'm going to keep. You know what I mean? Right. You know, because you can't get on the track talking about, you know, fuck bitches and hoes and, and using faggot. And, and you know, I can't, I can't have that on my shit. You know what I'm saying? So I know a lot of rappers like to use the word faggot. And if if you're doing a song with me, you're taking that shit out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, not only is it like, you know, offensive and, you know, there's plenty of things you can label it. It's honestly sort of juvenile in like, like, is that the best you can do in, you know, even if you're trying to insult somebody, even if you're trying to, I don't know, whatever it may be. I feel like it's a it's a juvenile cop out word to be using. I agree. Uh, even even past all of the political correctness and the, you know whatever your beliefs sit on all that stuff, using the word faggot just made, I'm like really like you went like you're you're so dried up in creativity <laughs> that's the best you could do. Right. I agree with you, man. And and the thing is, I had a hard time. Um, not I won't say a hard time, but I had my my bout with using the word when I was first coming up because. You know they gonna love me. Hey everybody. Just a quick reminder that when you're done listening to my interview with Carnage the Executioner, you should head over to youtube.com slash MarstonXHouse and view the Cypher videos and the freestyle videos that Marston House puts out on their YouTube page. Their YouTube page. They're very popular and very exciting to watch. Also, if you, if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, you'll get an MP3 version of the Cyphers delivered to your iTunes library every Thursday. So be sure to do those two things and continue enjoying my interview here with Carnage. You know Where I wasn't even aware of how many homophobic references um, I was including into my lyrics at that time. And um, it wasn't like I was, you know, I'm not justifying at all either. It wasn't like I was just saying faggot all the time and, you know, talking about homos and get, you know, but there were references that I would have that were definitely anti you know, homosexual. And, um, and that's something that's kind of upheld pretty strongly in the, you know, in the hip hop community from its core. Um, From the beginning, I just, you know, I've noticed that it was, it was really a lot about masculinity and, and not promoting, you know, man on man, you know, relationships, you know, female and on female were fine. <laughs> but, uh, not not man on man so it was one of those funny how that works right exactly so it was it was just it was just me um i think what i was really trying to do is um was exert my masculinity in a really you know male dominating way because that's what hip-hop was to me at that at that time it was it was about being as hardcore as masculine and as you know rugged and rough and unapologetic as possible so um, in that, you know, with that type of persona, you have to be anti-homosexual. That's what I was thinking. So when I wrote the lyrics, I was just, you know, just kind of being on some MC shit. And then um, one day idea when I was in the studio with him, he challenged me. He was like, do you have anything against homosexuals? And I was like, nah, not at all. You know, he was like, well, I'm, I'm not sure I believe that because, you know, almost all your lyrics I've heard have had, you know, homophobic references. And I'm like, 
nah, man, I don't just sit up and talk about faggots and stuff all the time, you know, and he was like, nah, but what you're saying is, is very, you know, it, it's offensive, it's marginalizing, and it, and it definitely will, you know, alienate a, a type of listener that you could have if you keep making those kind of references, you know, and I was like, well, I don't have any problem with him. And he was like, well, you say it in your lyrics all the time. And I was like, I don't I don't think so. And he was like, all right, spit a song. And I spit a verse. And he was like, there's one. And I was like, oh, OK, um, spit another one. I spit another spit another verse. And he was like, there's one right there. And every time I would make a homophobic reference in one of the lyrics, he would point it out. And um, so it got to a point where he, he was he was like four for four. You know, I said four verses and four of them had homophobic references. So I had to I had to agree with him and, and, and realize that what I was doing was indeed what he said I was doing. And it wasn't something that I wanted to be known for. I don't want to be categorized um, as a person who's anti any type of of way anybody lives, because that's not my you know, that's that's not what it is. I'm trying to trying to promote in my music. I'm trying to promote, you know, artistic integrity, you know, speaking your mind, being who you are, individuality and destruction of whack MCs and and homo homophobic references don't play a role in any of that that I really want to try to put out there. So it was a challenge that he threw at me and I took it. And um, the next week I came in the studio to record and um, I was doing songs and I did. I had done a couple songs. And then he said to me, I've noticed that, like, there was no homophobic references in those lyrics anymore. And I was like, yeah, because I went back and changed them all. And um, from that point on, um I decided that I was not going to make any more homophobic references ever again. And I would speak out against people who I heard doing that. And um, idea helped me come to that realization. Yeah. You know, and it's um, it, the first thing that comes to mind when I look at homophobia in, um, in hip hop is I'm reminded of, I took a black pop culture class at American university. And one of the things that's pointed out is how homoerotic <laughs> hip hop yeah. is, you know, <laughs> with LL cool J, just all wet and sweaty on, you know, half naked. Just, oh, and it's like, this, this is some, you know, this could be looked at a couple different ways. Uh, right. I, um, man, I totally agree for, for all of the homo bashing rappers are doing they're They're sure looking sexy in their videos and, and on stage and, and you know, licking their lips and wearing makeup and stuff, and it's like, do you, man? If that's what yeah. you want to do, do you? But don't, but don't be bashing other people when they do something sure. you don't like, and or they do something that's not in a, in alignment or not in agreement with with what you you know represent. And I, I also believe that um, hip hop, you know, in the beginning, you know, in the beginning stages was really about you know anti homosexual stuff. But I think there are artists who have come out lately about you know um being homosexual and um and also spoken out against um homophobia and i feel like the climate um has changed a little bit um it's still you know we still have some milestones to you know to reach and stuff but i really think that um the awareness of the fact that it's really derogatory and it's really you know it's really hurtful to people i think is is, is being noticed and um, I'm, I'm all for that movement, even though I'm an avid hip hop supporter and I'm, a, you know, I'm all about the, the roots of hip hop. But, you know, there's some aspects of um, the roots of hip hop that I don't support and I can still be a part of this culture that I love so much, but not, you know, um, take on all the ideals that come with it.
And I, well, absolutely. I mean, you look at, you know, I'm an American, but, you know, fuck slavery. Right, exactly, you know, like that was, exactly. That was a part of our roots, but, like, we were like, you know what, this just kind of fucked up. We need to- <laughs> right. I totally agree with you, man. That's, that's a good yeah. reference, yep. Yeah, so, you know, and you said a lot of rappers are speaking out about it, and I think the, the song um, that comes to mind most often is Malcolm Moore's Same Love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he even met, he, and he, and he specifically calls out hip-hop. A lot of people look at it as like this, uh, you know, he talks about equality in general, but in the midst of his verse, he really calls out hip-hop and saying that that gay gets dropped on the daily. And it's interesting because I don't, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm numb to it or if I just ignore it, but I don't I didn't think that was still a problem um, inside of hip hop because it, you know in in my circles and in my you know networks it's something that ne- is never heard of anymore. You know, no one no one is saying that's gay about anything unless they're saying it ironically. Right, right. Uh, and and I, yeah. I would agree with you. Um, are, were you done? Were you done? Well, I was going to say. I mean, as someone who's a little bit more toned to the underground and mm-hmm. to and sort of more of the you know. I don't. I'm not paying attention to comment sections at Hip Hop DX and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's still there. Do you think? Do you think it's still a problem? I think. I think it's still there. There's still an issue. You know, like there, there's still an issue with all kind of different things that you know have have not been as strongly um, represented as they used to. You know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. There's still always an underlying. You know. Um, you know, an underlying. Uh, existence of that type of thing. I personally think Macklemore went a little too far with condemning hip hop. Um, I feel like hip hop gets um, hip hop gets picked on a lot. Motherfuckers love to pick on hip hop, but motherfuckers be rapping. <laughs> My thing is like, <laughs> if 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 you're rapping and you're supporting, you're saying you support hip hop, and but you don't support all these ideals, you know, um, speak out about the ones you. You, you don't agree with and then keep it moving, but don't condemn the whole culture because everybody in the culture who loves the culture as much as like even I do don't support everything that comes with it. You know, I'm not I'm not about, you know, misogyny and, and like disrespecting women, but that's a part of, you know, that's been part of hip hop culture, too. So does that mean that I'm I need to be held accountable for every rapper that uses bitch all the time? No, you know, sure. because that's not me. So I, I feel like. A lot of people, you know, like to pick on hip hop. And there was something locally that happened in Minneapolis recently um, that kind of confirmed what how I feel about that. And I just I'm just like, look, you know, with every 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 aspect of everything that people do, there's negativity in it. Um, I think picking on hip hop for its homophobic, you know, for its homophobic, you know, existence and stuff is some bullshit because it's bigger than just hip hop. It's society in general. You know, like it wouldn't exist in hip hop if it didn't exist in society first. You know, um, hip hop is definitely um, a reflection of what's going on in, you know, our our country and and in the world. And and hip hop has always been the message of what's going on in the world. So, um, you know, it didn't just originate in hip hop. Homophobia didn't originate in hip hop. So when people, you know, say, well, I'm not going to listen to hip hop because he said faggot or whatever. I say, you know. I better not see you wearing motherfucking Nikes either then. You know what I'm saying? Like if you if if you're yeah. you're not about slavery, you know, then, then you don't you know what I'm saying? If you you're not yeah. you're not saying that, you know, you're not going to wear Nikes when they when they're made at sweatshops, 
You know what I mean? So if I, I believe if you're going to go that far with it, you need to look at some other shit, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, like there, there was a guy here who, quote unquote, spoke out against um, some comments that Eric Sermon made um, from EPMD. And EPMD was here on Monday and I opened up for him. And one of the guys on the bill backed out of the bill because I guess he didn't like um, Eric Sermon's comments about like the interviewer just threw out. So what do you think about this whole Bruce Jenner thing? Which what the fuck does that have to do with hip hop? What does that have? Oh, uh, they're just they're right. trying to like stir up exactly. some problems. So Eric Sermon was like, you know what? You know, hip hop has you know was traditionally a no Bruce Jenner type of zone. You know, and it's kind of weird that he's doing that all of a sudden because everybody has known him to be, you know, back in the days he wasn't like that, and all of a sudden he's like switching his gender. So he was just kind of speaking out on how how weird he thought he was, and he did say that hip hop in general in its roots was you know, anti, you know, homo, but I don't believe that everybody needs to, to, to jump on hip hop because Eric Sermon said that Eric Sermon is one particular person within millions of hip hop supporters and rappers and, and listeners and all that. And what I saw was a whole bunch of people saying, well, that's one hip hop show I won't be going to. I can't believe hip hop is still, you know, being homophobic and that's so fucked. And I'm like, look, you know, that's him. If you don't support what he said, don't go to the show, but don't hold everybody in hip hop responsible for the fact you didn't like what one motherfucker in hip hop said. And people like to do that with hip hop, but they don't do that with other shit. So I'm like, you know, the dude that backed out on the show, I'm like, I, I better see some fucking Black Lives Matters post on your fucking Twitter then. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, if you're going to be about it, be about it. You know what I'm saying? So that kind of frustrated me, but it's like, fuck it. He backed out and somebody else got the spot. <laughs> so um, it's it's one of those type of things where I looked at it a little bit deeper though because I I really think that people like to pick on hip hop and and Macklemore is a great artist he he's a great writer he's creative and he has a lot of great things to say and he's you know he's he's pushing some positive agenda and and what a lot of what he's saying has been uplifting but I think he went a little bit hard in the paint on hip hop and and I think he I think a lot of hip hop artists feel that way. A lot of hip hop yeah, artists but I, I feel like he went a little too far. Yeah, I mean I, I, I can I can definitely see that, but I, I think that it's it's necessary. I mean, at least he's doing it from inside, right? At least he's yeah. not you know, it would have been something else if he'd called out another culture on there, you know, like he he called out society in general, yeah. which is where the problem is yeah. rooted. Yeah. And then he was like, And by the way, this is happening in my own culture and I don't yeah. like it. Okay. You know, I'll give him that. You know, you're right, you're right. So you gotta give him some props and realizing, look, I understand that we're, the place that I'm in isn't perfect either and I need and it needs some uh needs some revo- uh, resolve. So Right. So, um, like I said, I, I didn't say that I was totally in disagreement with what he said. Sure. I just I just think, you know, people do pick on hip hop a little, a little bit more than, you know, they do other, other musical genres. And it's like, no, nah, there's fucked up shit in, in, in everywhere in the world. And it starts in society. You know what I'm saying? Like music wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for societal influences first and foremost. And then those societal influences influence how we interact with people and with ourselves. And then it reflects in our, our art. So it's all, yeah. you know, if, if you want to fight it, you know, start like Mark McLemore did it and, and, you know, that that was good, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I still think that, that that motherfuckers be picking on hip hop and I'm not gonna walk away from that, but I do agree with what he said though. Sure, yeah, and I, I agree completely that hip hop definitely gets the um 
hip hop gets such a bad rap when there's still you look at other genres and things they're saying, and you still hear objectification of women. Yeah. You still hear bad influences. And what's fu- what's funny is is those other other genres are sometimes just I don't know they, because they're not using profane language or because they're not being as vulgar about it that it's like passable. And that that I'm not gonna get uh, you know yeah man that, this is a whole other conversation that we could have nah but I'm saying uh, I'm saying negativity is negativity whether absolutely. whether it's it's you know done with a whole bunch of swear words yep. or not and the thing about hip hop is like it's always been a raw very straightforward you know medium for expressing yourself you know so so yeah you are gonna get it raw like that and sometimes you're gonna get it poetic and shit but you know hip hop is like you know it's urban music and it came from you know, the the expression of people who were not privileged enough to express themselves in other ways, you know, so it's, you're going to get it raw like that. And if you don't like it, then, you know, go and listen to some other shit, go and sit on a, go and sit on a stool and play a guitar and, you know, do some folk music. And that's all good too. But I'm saying quit fucking with it. Quit fucking with hip hop. Um, if you're going to have those kind of views and, you know, look at what everybody else is doing, too. It's not just hip hop. Like what you said, you know, it's 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 definitely more hidden and other, you know, other genres of music. But there's still, you know, objectification of women going on in country music and in all different types of music and shit. So, it, like I said, like you said, man, if you're going to like I said before, if you're going to be about it, be about it. Don't wear Nikes, you know, if, if you don't support slavery, you know, yeah. don't just sleep, speak out on hip hop. If you're not going to talk about the shit that's happening, that spawned the creation of hip-hop in the first place you know economically disadvantaged conditions that that people of color lived in forced the creation of hip-hop so don't come in in hip-hop and then criticize the people who are doing hip-hop when part of the privileged people you know the people other people having privilege over you know people of color has led to it even being created in the first place. Don't come into it and wipe your feet on the floor and say, you know, I'm better than this because, you know, I don't do this and you do that. It's like, yeah, like, like you said, it's a whole different subject, man. I'm, I'm starting to go off on a tangent and I don't want to because I can, <laughs> I can talk about this shit for two or three hours. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a special bonus episode <laughs> of just, uh, just Tim and Terrell right. just, just letting it all out there. Um, my my last point on uh on you know talking about hip hop and the the you know the the criticism that it gets I did a uh in my audio production class my my final long form uh project was actually done on ciphers and on Marston House mm-hmm. and you know I'm the only you know it's very different from what everybody else you know cuz this is I go to American University it's a very political school it's very news driven hard news stuff like that but we were, you know, the long form was supposed to be something informative and that, that was evergreen. And you know, I wanted to challenge myself in doing something different. So I did this thing. I did one on Cipher, and the professor is, you know, uh, a white lady in her fifties living in D.C. You know, she she has obviously diverse students coming through, so she's not blind to different cultures. Mm-hmm. But after <clears throat> after we played it in class and. Uh, I got, you know, it was the best grade I'd gotten in that class, and she gave it high praise. She still mentioned, she was like, I watched some of the videos, you know, I watched some of the videos on that Marson House page, and the things they say about women are horrible. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you probably heard one person or two people say horrible things about women, but, like, that doesn't mean that this entire community 
is like that, right. you know? And I think what I think where um and I, I, I realized immediately that hip hop embraces freedom of speech so well that we're like, I don't agree with what you're saying and I may not I may not collaborate with you in the future because of the of, of how you're presenting yourself as an artist, but I'm not gonna like separate myself from you and the culture because there's other people in here that are, that are saying these certain things. I'm just going to, I'm going to represent myself the way that I want to. Exactly. And that's why hip hop gets grouped so much in, well, there's these artists that are saying it. So hip hop as a culture is the problem is yeah. because we're not exiling people from the culture because right. they're exercising freedom of speech in ways that we don't agree with. Right. And I say, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's, that's some bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if I was there, I would have said, well, you know, what kind of movies do you watch? Do you watch movies right. that have profanity in them? Do you watch movies that have sex scenes in them? You know, do you, sure. it's like, you know, yeah, you can't cut out everything. Like, you know, I know vegetarians who still have leather shoes and this shit, you know, works like that. But I'm saying, if you're not really trying to represent in all areas or most of the areas like that, you can't condemn the whole culture for some of the things that are said by a few individuals. And that's what you just said. And that's what I, I, I've been saying this whole time. It's like, sure. you know, when, when, when the people start saying, oh, I'm not going to the EPMD show now because Eric Serban doesn't like Bruce Jenner's sex change. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's his view. You know what I'm saying? So don't go to the show because you don't like his view. Don't don't say that hip hop is the cause of it because it's not. Because without hip hop, Eric Sermon would probably fucking feel the same way. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> that was uh that was quite the conversation we just had. Yeah, that's some real shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so let's uh let's get back to to your music. Okay. Uh because that is uh that's why you're on the show. I want to talk about the the track 11 BC we mentioned earlier in the interview and I think what's really powerful about this track is, you know, you're calling back to, you know, to your earlier days, to your roots. And, you know, you in the in the track you even gave give a compare and contrast of who you are now as Carnage Executioner and who you were back then as what was the what was the stage name back then again? T Swift. T Swift, that's right. T Swift the MC uh, Executioner. That's well. That's right. <laughs> So, you know, I think tracks like this are really powerful because it gives the it gives the longtime fans a just more substance to really feast off of when they when they want to know about the artist. And it gives new fans a a you know, a quick synopsis of who you were then and now. And I think it's a really powerful way to um to to call back to your earlier days. You know what? Uh, what inspired you? Uh, you know to make this song, and why was it important for you to make? Um, I think uh, the beginning of it was um, the the fact that I love funky drummer so much. I wanted to um, have a song that had a funky drummer as the main drums in it, chopped up. Don't sue me. Yeah, I just admitted that I sampled funky drummer. Fuck it. <laughs> but uh, um, I wanted a song that had that that drum in it because it's my favorite drum in hip hop. And I wanted to tell a story about when I first started rapping. Um, so I felt Funky Drummer was the sample that I needed to tell the beginning roots of where Carnage the Executioner started. And um, so I started with that as the idea. And the first version of that track, 11 BC, actually appears on my 2012 release, Respect the Name. That one was called T-Swift Was Here. 
And that that was the one that I did first. And um, it was a song that a lot of people liked, um, especially because I recalled two of the first rhymes I ever wrote. And I um, had the beats that I wrote them to dropped in, um, scratched them in. And then I said little, you know, like two bars of the rhymes that I wrote way back then and connected it to who I am now as Carnage the Executioner. And um, and after that song became, you know, a, pr- a pretty good you know, well-liked song, um, I felt like the story was still a little incomplete. And um, I had another scratch sequence that my DJ had made um, for the end of the song that I didn't use. So I was like, well, why don't I just take what he used before, put it at the beginning of of the song and continue telling the story with a whole new beat. So I took Funky Drummer again, added some new elements to it, um, added some more old rhymes that I had from before and told a little bit more of the story of where T-Swift came from. Um, and I personally think um, the second one is, is a little better than the first one. So the one you, you've gotten a chance to hear is, you know, the, the finale of the, you know, T-Swift was here type, type of shit. Um, I think I'm done with that concept now, but I feel like I did it, you know, well both times. And it was something that um, I felt like people needed to hear. And, um, and I kind of even poked fun at myself about how hard I thought I was back then. You know, cause did you hear that in the track where I'm like, oh, I'm so damn tough, you know? Yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to have a little bit of fun with it because that's what I was about. You know, I was about being a hardcore, you know, rugged battle rapper. And I'm not so much about that now. So I kind of poked a little bit of fun at it. Um, but but it's, there's nothing wrong with going back and exploring your roots and, and letting people know where you came from and um, letting them know how that leads to where you're at now. And that's what I wanted to do with those songs. Yeah, very well. And then, uh, you know, the feature track on today's show, Keep the Body Bags Handy, the, the song that everybody gets to hear off of the ultimatum. Uh, you know, give us, uh, you know, before we go into the lightning round to, to wrap up the interview, give us a, a quick look into, into this track and, um, you know, wh- where the inspiration on this came from. Um, this one was one that uh, I wanted to, I wanted to just flex. I wanted to just flex some MC muscle and show people that I could rap for more than 16 bars and keep it intense. Um, but as I started writing it, I realized that it's, it's not cool to just, you know, rap about strictly rapping anymore. I wanted to tell a little bit more of the story um, of where, you know, carnage, a hardcore, you know, individual would possibly come from. So I wanted to kind of explore the unexplored and kind of explore the imaginary realm of, what carnage was before there was carnage like was i pre predetermined or was it pre you know predestined that i would become you know carnage the executioner a rugged mc destroying human you know human reconfiguration of you know some beast from a different galaxy you know i just kind of wanted to be creative with the writing and um so i started telling the story kind of um you know what was happening in the alternate dimension before Carnage was actually born and came into, you know, came into this world, what was, what were the conditions, you know, of, of how I was living or lack of living? Um, what were the conditions that I came from that actually influenced me to come out as Carnage, the executioner? So that's where keep the body bags handy kind of comes from. And um, I remember hearing a song where um, the roots black thought rhymed for about, I would say he rhymed for at least 40 to 48 bars without stopping. And I was like, man, that's dope that he could just, you know, rap 
that long without stopping. And then he came in with a, a second verse that was a little shorter, but the song itself was, you know, almost five minutes of rapping, you know, and I, and I was really impressed by that. So I was like, well, let me take my stab at, you know, spitting that many bars. And, and the more I wrote, the more I kept wanting to write until it became like 64 bars or something. And I was like, all right, I did my black thought, you know, um, I did my black thought shit. And I also, also kind of told a story that I think, would be interesting enough to keep building on like the story on keep, keep the body bags handy continues throughout my records. And I think people will be able to make a connection um, when they hear the rest of that record, if they go back and listen to some of my older stuff. And if they listen to the stuff that's coming, you know, in, in the later years um, in my next projects, my upcoming projects. Wonderful. So let's, uh, let's do the, do the, the lightning round um, type questions. And uh, let's start with, you know, if I could get, you know, if I had access to every MC in the world and I could get him on a Carnage track, who would you want me to bring on? Oh shit. Um, um. Well, I would say my two favorite rappers are Chuck D and um, probably Crooked Eye. Crooked Eye is one of my favorites, and he's a newer newer artist, but he's definitely one of one of my my big influ- influences. So I would say, you know, probably those two would be the dream track. Um, and then, you know, for good measure, I might throw in uh, Chief Kamachi. Um, I really like him. He's from he's actually from Philadelphia, too. You know, um, so a Philly MC, you know, and uh, with uh, Chief Kamachi, um, Chuck D and Crooked Eye uh, would be a dream, a dream song for me. And and who? Who would you want to produce that track? No shit. Uh, <laughs> mm, man, I don't know, man. I would say if I got a beat from any of these individuals and I could make it work, I would make it work. Um, my local favorite producer right now is Big Jess. He did a lot of tracks on my next um, upcoming album, Ravenous, that's coming out in October. So it, it, either be him um, the dream producer would be Dr. Dre or uh, Timberland, um, DJ Shadow. Um, those are three producers I really, really respect um, as far as, you know, how, how they put together beats and, and the, the mind set that I've, I feel like I try to get into when I'm listening to their music. And, and I use those same aesthetics when I'm making my own music. So one of those four producers would probably be fine for that that MC slaughter fest that um, I just threw out with me, Chuck D crooked eye and chief Kamachi. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I got a beat from Dr. Dre, I'd rap. <laughs> <laughs> if Dre was like, yo, I don't know why, but I feel like you need to rap on this. I'd be like, bet I'm not turning this down. I don't care how, you know, what, what, how this turns out. Right. Uh, you know, I, I put out a track if, if, if Dre was willing to provide a beat. And, and, and for a uh, honorable mention, um, who was I just gonna say? There's another. Oh, just Blaze. Just Blaze oh, would yeah, be sure. another honorable mention. Um, as far as like a producer who I would throw in there too. So if any one of those producers, um, offered me a beat with that dream connection of rappers, then I think there would be a pretty ridiculous song, and then we could have you on the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I'm sure I could find. I mean, I'm not singing. The Marine Corps ruined my voice box, so. uh uh, I'd have to uh, I'd have to 
do something other than singing, but I'm sure I could work up a hook. Yeah, I'm sure you could uh, have some. Yeah. So, uh, last question, um, first of its kind, Slaughterhouse is one of my favorite groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know what they're doing is amazing. If we got you on a Slaughterhouse track, mm-hmm. and but you had to replace one of the members of Slaughterhouse <laughs> on the track, who are you choosing to take off for you to, to fill a spot? Uh, I'm going to say... And with all due respect to all of these MCs, because all of them are amazing rappers. Sure. Um, I would have to pick to remove Royce the Five Nine. Yep, I would have to take him off out of all those guys. Yeah. And um, mainly because I feel like the other guys touch um, an area of lyricism that kind of goes a little bit further uh, further than braggadocio lyrics. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all about like spitting about how ill you are and stuff because that's what I came up in. But there's something about how those other guys are are able to relay deeper, deeper meanings behind, you know, what it is they're saying and and deeper, you know, inner expressions about personal subjects um, that I don't think Royce the Five Nine touches as much. I agree. That would be my, um, you know, if Slaughterhouse came to me like Tim, we got this Dre beat. We need you to get. <laughs> we need you to get on this track. Um, that's uh, for the same exact reason. You know, I um, I feel like we know more about mm-hmm. Joel, Crooked, and Joe just from their lyrics. And they've been around. And, like uh, I think I think a couple of those guys have been around less time than Crooked. I mean, than uh, than Royce Five Nine has. You know, he's yeah. been around for a very long time, and he has a lot of material out there. You know, he has a lot of mixtapes and a lot of lot of albums and stuff. And I, I agree with you. In a short amount of time, I feel like I know a lot about, especially like Joel Ortiz. He just kind of yeah. came out of nowhere for me one time. And I was like, listen to this dude. You know, he's he's a very interesting um, how he, you know, talks about like I came from the ghetto and I don't ever want to go back. And it's one of the like the way he puts those stories together is really it's really, you know, it really grabs me. And I think those other guys are able to do that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Better than Carn- better than Royce. Yeah, and uh, of course, who doesn't? We we all love Royce. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, there's yeah. no, no, you know. But you said we had to remove one, so got to remove one. It's funny though. Um, the reason why this question came to mind is I remember seeing an interview with Joe, mm-hmm. and he was talking about when when M wants to get on a slaughter track, he's the first to volunteer to step off. Oh to let M step up. And I thought that was really humble. You know, like, you know, here's an opportunity to have your name on the same, tr- on, you know, on the same track with, with, you know, with people who a lot of people consider to be the best ever. Mm-hmm. And he looks at it uh, as a, this is better for the group than it is for me as an MC. And he's actually the first person to be like, yeah, I'll step down, you know, and I'll cough up my part, my part of the song. If M wants to put in a verse. And that's, you know, what's interesting about that is, um, when Royce to five, nine and Eminem were beefing, um, which was, you know, some years ago, one of the things Royce said was I'm the only MC who can burn M on his own, on his own track. And, um, and I think, I remember reading an interview where um, Eminem said, "What I rhyme with Royce every time I, I feel like I got to step my shit up. So it's interesting yeah. that they both have that view, you know, like, like that. But I could see, but it, so it's kind of weird that Royce would say that 
and back down because he 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 was the one who said that I'm the MC that can burn Eminem on his own track. I I, just, I think that's kind of weird, but I mean, there's a respect thing, I guess there. Absolutely. I mean, you listen to to their latest, you know, to the Bad Meets Evil that came out in like what 2010, 2011. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, Royce is, is there, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's right there with them, you know, bar for bar. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it was definitely, um, definitely, you know, a genuine statement. Right. So Carnage, we're following you on Twitter at Carnage XXXL. Yep. Uh, we're following you on Instagram at the same handle. Mm-hmm. CarnageTheExecutioner.com is where all the information, downloads, videos, all the show information stuff can be found. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else people need to know if they're interested in getting in contact with Carnage? Um, info at CarnageTheExecutioner.com. You can email me. Um, I also have Facebook. I'm Carnage the Executioner on Facebook. And um, those are the main ones. Um, and my... Uh, I think my my um my YouTube is Carnage Triple XL two or it's Carnage the Executioner shit. So many of them I can't remember. So either sure. either way you're gonna find me. If you put Carnage Triple XL in, you'll probably find me. Um but I, I think it might be Carnage the Executioner. Let me look. Uh it is Carnage Triple XL. I see it right there. Yep, so YouTube is Carnage Triple XL two. Also. Very well. Keep the body bags handy off of the ultimatum. Carnage, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Lots of great... I mean, this is the longest interview that I've done for this show so far, and I think a lot of great substance came out of it. Thank you. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, you're you're an easy guy to interview with, so uh, you know, keep up the good work. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm Timothy Lawson, and on behalf of Steve, Ethan, and the rest of us here on Marston House, we'll see you next week. Wait a minute. Are you going to be at the Cyphers this weekend? I will not. Ah! Well, maybe, uh. maybe next time I come out there, you got to be there. You non-pacifistic, masochistic, rack with sickness, kind of sewers. Without further ado, carnage the executioner and hecatomb industries are quite delighted to offer these verses to you. Formulated to coordinate with educational biography, fantasy, and entertainment purposes too. In case you haven't heard of the rude blood curdler who murders for food and solo can make a giant turd of your crew. Wound floating with pseudo doom potion, bloodlust and thumb sucking, fetal open for hemoglobin. Corrupted the mental for as long as I can remember. Still cognizant that illegal show and destructive potential. But would not prevent the choice of people knowing something eventful would happen when I arrived with the winter slaughter found. Thought they spotted twin, but he died in December. They'd have caught him bound. He was soon choked in the ultrasound. Also a warrior, torture is morbid, disordered and morphed to avoid it. Deported it to portagen. Toward the world again, exploring its origin. Call for miles swimming all the while, wishing the story could have him. Considering too, he entered frowning deep in the drowning from amniotic fluid. Understanding knowledge grew and told him, damn, you gotta do this. A demanding job and true, it's bigger than you. Something that no other nigga can do. Plain and basic, I came in nameless. Now reputation famous for displaying race. This says I should have been raising gates and cages. My brains are matrix and gates and sacred tabulated statements. Screaming with excruciating painers. Vital pinnacle of upheaval. Waving frightful tentacles. Spiteful cynical plus evil. Lovable attributes capture you. Huggable but lethal. Must please you. Humans for harvest. Otherwise, fuck people. Gave compassion ain't a break. Drift. Vanishing to make shift. Then I'm allowed to believe that insanity's a great gift. Handing me the hate script. Demon
mother and what's reaching opportunity when proving she is done leading face her in hell tough meeting colossal nuts winging when finally thank her for the upbringing taught me handle fear aggressively readily smother meddling sensitivity that tested me filled head with the phrase mama said that she raised no punks especially now with my beckoning heck of be carrying on our legacy tragedy classically heavy handwritten petty man bitten catastrophe tapestry attached to beats daily ambition mastery steady stance internationally to blast the week syllabically no gap with me proclamation highness of kind with the finest in rhyme minus the finest intellect combined with the grind shock your face and with the slightest sign of a line time after time blind to the shine of others already and i know my prime skin riding non-law abiding thriller bit diligent i'm raw providing gorilla with militant filament indiscriminate dimension your grudging sin to your judgment when siding with gut feeling response cause for dying conceptualized conceivable calamity chronicled via cadence by corrupted conspiring chameleon you're probably at antsy not quite covered slips for cover calling chorus cops and coroners to keep the body bags handy <laughs> i have been in law enforcement 33 years and i have seen a lot of carnage this affected me probably worse than anything that i've ever seen Thank you. 